Welcome back to Chicago Tomahawk. I'm Mike. I got Matt with me. And today we've got a special guest. I'm sorry, special guest, D.L. Fox on our show. How are you doing, man, from Hockey Buzz? Excellent. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. And to be honest with you, man, um, this is something I've been wanting to talk about for, for a while. And it's the Blackhawks prospects because, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Seth Jones and and uh, even even Caleb Jones. And I want to know, like, what do we have coming up? Because Kane and Taves, they're probably about four to five years away from retiring, you know, more than likely unless they pull a Jumbo Joe, you know, then maybe they've got, you know, seven years. But, you know, just I just want to talk about kind of what do we have in, in the pop on, in the pipeline. And um, to start it off, what was your opinion on the Blackhawks offseason? Um. For the most part, I, I I thought it was it was good. Uh, it was surprising, uh, just because I think the fan base was in a sense primed to think of a rebuild based off of a youth movement, and then it changed course with you know the rumor that not only just Seth Jones being um, on the market, but also with uh, Dougie Hamilton uh, being a free agent and the Hawks rumored to be in on, on both of them. Obviously, they weren't going to get each of both of them, but they were in on uh, trying to snag one of them. Uh, and obviously they got Jones, but, um, you know, with McCabe and, uh, Deidre Kyra and Tyler Johnson and, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, very happy to be honest. It's exciting. It's just surprising because of the youth movement. And I think for me, it's my, pr- the perspective I have, and not that I have any evidence that this is just how the management changed course, but I think the youth, youth movement is still in effect. I think they're just kicking the can down the road a year just allowing the prospects who they got to see this past season um, and see what they needed to work on and just have them marinate more in Rockford. Um, and then who knows? I mean, they could be amongst the first call-ups uh, this coming season because injuries and uh, illness and COVID protocol are inevitable. Uh, and so you're going to need that depth from Rockford. And, and so, um, yeah, I think we'll see more youth next season and then obviously the seasons after, but um I'm actually pretty happy with offseason. Surprised, but uh, happy, satisfied. I loved it, man. And you know, it's kind of funny that you bring it up. I think that, you know, the the public in general thought that, hey, we're going to have a rebuild going on for the next four to five years or something like that. And a lot of people bought into it. And then, you know, we we, we end up, you know, kind of uh, retooling everything and kind of looks like we're going for it. And a lot of people are, are unhappy with that. Do you think that people are unhappy with it because... You know, they were expecting something and not getting it. Or do you think that they wanted the long, drawn-out rebuild? Um, I think I think it boils down to just the definition of what a rebuild is. And I think there's been examples of where you just do a full teardown, sell off everything, get you know draft picks and prospects and build from there. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, people often say, hey, look at Edmonton. They've had all those first-round picks. Um, but they don't advance very far, and they have two exactly. of the best players, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, in the world uh, with Drysaddle and uh, yeah, McDavid. McDavid, yeah, and McDavid. I, I call him I call him McGregor, so <laughs> I call him Connor McGregor on here quite well, often. Even, even before those two guys, they had Taylor Hall, they had yeah, exactly, yeah. Nuge. Uh, Nuge, they had, and it was just it wasn't going right, and it's like where where when do you start, like Yakupov. Yeah, Nail Yakupov. Yeah, and I, I feel like the Rangers are were kind of doing what the Hawks were doing, and then they signed the Breadman, 
mm-hmm. all that money and it's like a hurry up rebuild and it doesn't even feel like they're rebuilding anymore. Yeah. You know, it's to- it's kind of like a hurry up type of thing. I feel yeah. like it's not like a long Detroit Red Wing rebuild. Yeah, I think, I mean, you definitely need youth because you need to replenish from within uh, and then you supplement through free agency. Uh, but you also need that leadership core. And obviously the, the core that uh, we all know from the cup era um, is is depleting. I mean, it's just Taves and Kane. Um, yep. And right now, even Taves is um, iffy with whether or not he will start the season healthy or if he can even play a full 82 games. But um, yeah, I think that's why I was, you know, you know, satisfied with the offseason because of the fact that they brought in uh, not like really young players, but players with some tread on their tires with, where they have experience like uh, Jake McCabe um, and definitely a Seth Jones and Marc-Andre Fleury. I know he's, you know, in the back nine of his career, but I mean, he's still stellar. I mean, he won yeah. the Vesna, so. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So what are your, uh, what are your opinions on, on Lucas Reichel? Because there really hasn't been much on him recently. Yeah, I think um, he's definitely the top prospect in the system. Um in my eyes, as far as forwards go, I think uh, he's definitely top of the charts of this system. Not, and that's not to say he's going to go into camp and earn a spot right away. He could. Um, I think because he's new to North America and he's still a teenager, I would, if I had my brothers, I'd have him start in Rockford just to at least get used to North American ice, smaller rink. Um, and then he would be really one of the first call-ups, especially if you needed a top nine or top six player. Uh, I think if you needed a, a fourth liner, then you call up a Mackenzie Entwistle or uh, Mike Hardman or even Josiah Slavin. But I think uh, Ryko is definitely up there in terms of he's a dark horse to make the team out of camp. There may not be space, but I think he would be definitely amongst the first call-ups. The thing with the way he plays, he's almost tailor-made for the smaller ice service of North America because he's he goes through he goes through traffic. He'll take a hit to make a play. And he bounces right back. I mean, he's still a teenager with a wiry frame. So he's got to add some muscle. So he has that longevity to take on the NHL physicality. But um, I think he'll at least be a second liner. I I think he'd be hard-pressed to be a first liner, to be honest. But I think second line could be his ceiling. But even if he's third liner, he's going to be a a heck of a third liner. Yeah, that's really interesting because it just seems like since Marion Hosa's been gone that there's just this huge gaping hole at yeah. at right wing uh, and was it first line right wing right next to Taves and we yeah. haven't really had anybody there well we got Kubalik but you know with Kubalik being a shooter and definitely Taves will I mean he'll shoot but I think he more looks to dish who who do you think could could fit into that top right wing spot do you think like do you think Reichel could do that I think Reichel could because uh, he's one who will dig out pucks um, he's um, strong on the forecheck uh, and like I said, he will go to the dirty areas uh, and will take it, uh, take a hit to make a play. And when that happens and you have a line mate like Taze, obviously with his experience, but he's, you know, equally a playmaker and a shooter. Uh, and then you, so then you have two guys who can get the puck to Kubalik, who is just so good at sneaking into those soft areas uh, and just, you know, yep. I mean, he can wire a shot even if he has two guys draped on him. He's just, there's just something about him. Like it doesn't matter how he, he just contorts his body and will get a shot off um, very hard. may not be clean, but it's hard. Yeah, he's definitely uh, a shooter. You know, when you think of how many shooters do we have, it's, I think, a Kubalik. You know, he'll shoot all day. We just need somebody to get him to puck. Yeah. Where do you think Henrik Borgstrom fits in? 
Um, I think for me, I, I don't know too much about his defense. Um, his skating is pretty decent. Um, I think he is almost like Nylander where he might thrive best if he's in a top six role. I think when you put him in a third line role, it may not necessarily be the best use of his skills. Whereas obviously like, you know, when the block hacks had uh, Philippe Deneau, mm-hmm. I mean, I know Deneau wants to be paid like a, a top six, but he's a very good third liner and can play second line. He's very hard pressed to be a first liner. Right. But I think with Borgstrom, I think he'd be a very good uh, second line center, which would be good, especially if they're trying to uh, ship out Dylan Strom um, and then he could take that spot. But then, then you have Taves, Doc, and Borgstrom down the middle, which is fine because Doc Tyler and, Johnson. And Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson yeah. uh, so that's good depth. And the thing with Very Johnson good. is he can play wing, and there's always been talks, hey, should Doc play wing? Um, Considering yeah, I think, how big he is, I mean, you know, Doc, if he could get his, you know, his face-off, you know, his face-off numbers better, you know, I think that he'd be a – a good center. I think he plays center pretty well. Yeah. The position. Well, you know what I find interesting? What Dave McCarthy said. He he thinks he's like a Ryan Getzloff. And I'm, I was kind of blown away by that. I'm like, huh, I, I guess I don't see that yet. But, I mean, the guy is pretty much, his, hockey is his life. And, uh, I mean, he, he said that he could see Doc just, like, taking over a game and adjust like the speed will just go down to his level and he'll control the game. And I, I found that interesting. Yeah, yeah. I did too. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think th- I didn't agree with his speed because doc does have speed. He's not slow by any means, No, but he, um, I, you know, doc does really well. I think in the center of the ice deciding where he's going to dish the puck left or right, you know, and yeah, maybe he could do that from wing, but, um, I, I just really like the Taves. I like Tyler Johnson at that second line center role between the Cat and Kaner and Doc on the third line so that, you know, he's just not getting so much pressure on those top two lines. What do you think of that, Theo? Yeah, I, I think with Doc, um, you know, especially with last year being, I don't want to say a throwaway year, but obviously he was injured for most of the season. Um, he needs to get up to speed. And I think part of that is adjusting to the rigor. Um, feeling comfortable with the wrist um, after that gruesome injury. But I think third line is a good spot to put him uh, because then he could have lower quality of competition and then graduate him throughout um, as the season progresses and then maybe swap him and bump Tyler Johnson down to third line and then he becomes a second line center. I could see that happening. Um, I think there's just a lot of flexibility now with center uh, because Doc could move to wing. Uh, Tyler Johnson can play wing. Borgstrom, I'm not sure if he can play wing. Obviously, Strom was played at wing not very well. <laughs> um, and then the thing with Reichel, he can play all three positions. Um, and uh, last year, specifically in Germany, he was playing a lot of center. And so he has that versatility to play wow. wherever you need him to, hmm. um, and which is good because he can play either wing too. So it's not like he can only play right wing. Right. Um, Do you have a comparable NHL player to Reichel, Theo? For Reichel? Like a, like um, a current one? Yeah, um, Philippe Deneau comes to mind. I think Reichel might have a little bit more offensive output than he would. Um, you know, I think there's also players like Kevin Fiala, but I think Fiala just is a little bit more, he has a lot more uh, feistiness to him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it will, uh, dish out more hits. Um, but I think in terms of the offensive upside, I, I think 
you're really looking at someone who just is very good at all three zones. Raikou is just good um, up and down the ice, but just I think in terms of you know if you want to project like points, and I think this is obviously once he kind of hits his stride. Maybe in his rookie year, he's going to get like thirty points, something like that. But I think once he hits his stride, I could see him getting in that fifty point range. You know, something like you know fifteen to twenty goals, and then you know being the fifty points total. Um, yeah, and I think going back to um, Doc and that comparison to Getzloff, that, that when he was first drafted, that did cross my mind of Getzloff is a comparable. I just don't see Doc as uh, physical as, as Getzloff. Um, I think another comparable that I see uh, is Blake Wheeler. Um, just similar size, lanky, uh, more of a playmaker, um, but also a very good centerman. Um, and I don't, I'm not quite sure on, on Wheeler's faceoff numbers, uh, but you're right that, you know, Doc does need to, to work on that. I mean, all the centers really need to work on that yeah. uh, besides Johnson and Taves. But uh, especially <laughs> since they shipped out camp or yeah, didn't no sign kidding. camp, uh, they got to find uh, more face-off wins uh, with who they have down the middle. Speaking of Blake Wheeler, man, talk about somebody who just disappeared. He, I thought yeah. he would have been a top 10 player in points like the last, what, three years. He was an assist machine. Yeah, I just haven't heard anything from him. Has he Nothing. been hurt? I don't know what's up with him. Clearly, we yeah. don't cover the the Jets. Yeah, we're not Jets guys, but I just I, I just remember seeing his name in points. Like he was with with Kaner and assist. Like I mean, the goals were low, but his assists were like amazing. But I know that he lost Patrick Laine, and um, I mean, I just the guy disappeared. Yeah, I guess that's what happened when Laine wants out. Yeah. So Theo. Who do you have as the top three forward prospects right now in the Blackhawks organization? Uh, right now, um, Reichel number one, uh, Borgstrom two, and then McKenzie and Whistle uh, third. Let's leave. Let's leave Reichel and, and Borgstrom out. Like who do you like? Who are the three that you have under them? Uh, Entwistle, Hardman, and Barrett. Okay. What do you like? What do you like about um, say each of them? Um, I could see Entwistle and Hardman uh, forming uh, the nucleus of a future fourth line just because they play a heavy style. Um, Mm -hmm. They dig out pucks. uh, They can play physical if the game uh, requires them to do that. Um, But they're also very good in all three zones. I think Entwistle is a better skater, but I don't think Hardman is a horrible skater. I think he's sufficient enough to get up and down the ice. Uh, So they're not liabilities defensively. But I think with Entwistle especially, he's proven in his um, hockey career that he's a big game player. He's the one you put out there when you need uh, defense, uh, when the game is on the line. Um, and I think even some, depending on the team, obviously, and more so in juniors and maybe the world juniors. But I think um, maybe he was out there for more offensive, uh, crucial situations. But I think defensively, he's the guy you want on a key penalty kill or to hold a lead um, or just to keep a, a game tied in some crucial moments of the game. Um, and then Hardman just, um, to be honest, when they first assigned him out of, uh, Boston college, when was it like in March? Um, I wasn't too high on him, uh, partially because I didn't know much about him to be honest, but after I got to research him more and, and, you know, obviously once we got to see, I think he played what, eight games in the season, you know, I was sold on him. I, I think he, pr- he proved himself to be a future fourth liner for the team. He could be third. He could play third line. I just don't know what his offensive upside is at the NHL level. Um, but 
you never know. Um, I mean, he could be uh, Brian Bickle-like where he's okay during the regular season, but just like once he's in the postseason where, you know, the, 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 you know yeah. yeah, he ramps it up. Yeah, you have to Andy and some of these players. Nothing wrong just, with that. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. Just yeah, unless you're, there. unless you're yeah. paying him a ton of money and they only give you five goals during the season and you well, don't make the playoffs. Or if you're Austin Matthews, you get 40 goals and <laughs> not show up in the, in, in the playoffs. Yeah. So what about the, the top three defensive picks? Um, so the three are the ones who played last season um, in some games for the Hawks. So that's Kalanick, uh, number one, then Mitchell, and then... Um, Bodan. And the thing with Bodan, I've heard so many different ways to pronounce his last name. Bodan, Bodane. Yeah. We <laughs> yeah. say Bodin. I say Bodin too. Yeah. So um I got I agree I, with I, those. I agree with that order too. I, I like it. Do you think yeah. these guys will be on the team? Or do you think they're gonna get some time in Rockford? I think Kalanick has the best chance of cracking the not only cracking the lineup but being in the starting six. I just like if he makes a team, he's not going to be the seventh person. He's not going to be the reserve. If you're going to make him the reserve, give him big minutes in Rockford, uh, and then call him up yeah. later. Um, and then I think I like Mitchell yeah. and Bodan will be the top D pair in Rockford, um, unless Kalanick ha- is down there too. Then then they'll be the top three. Where do you have Stillman in your list? Do you well, have him on the current NHL? Well, I, I know, but do you think that he could be in Rockford? Because I, I just don't know what the I'm looking at the depth. It's like, what do we do with this guy? Yeah, with um yeah, with not Seth Jones, sorry, Caleb Jones and Stillman. Um, I'd have to check. And obviously Cat Friendly is the Bible for a lot of hockey fans. Um, yeah, in terms I love of that uh, site. um of seeing if they're waiver exempt. Um two way so, deals, yeah. Yeah, and so uh at least with the the younger players, um, well, I shouldn't say younger because Kalanick is actually 24 now, and I think right. he's puts him at the same age as Caleb Jones and uh, even Stillman. Uh, and so, at least with Mitchell and Bodan, there's no problem keep having them at, uh, marinate in Rockford because they, they're yeah. not going to be claimed. They don't have to pass the waivers. Uh, but some of the other ones, uh, you have to be careful with that. And that, that's the reason why I think Borgstrom will make the team almost by default because I think he's not waiver exempt. So if uh, if you send him down, then you risk another Losing team claiming him. Yeah. Do you have like say three other defensive prospects that that didn't play last year? Yeah. Um, well, at least in North America, um, Jacob Galvas. Um, he's been in Finland the past few years, and before that, he played I think two or three seasons in the Czech League, which is home for him. So he's been pro. Ever since he got drafted, like the year before he went pro, or sorry, the year before he was drafted in 2017, he was already playing against men. So he's been playing pro pro hockey for five years, and now he's going to the AHL. So um, I think he's going to, he could be a sneaky good pick in terms of his learning curve may not be so high. Um, he just hasn't gotten a lot of fanfare by, uh, if you want to say the Blackhawks PR machine, or just by, you know, NHL pundits in general which is fine you know not every prospect is going to get the fanfare but uh, I think he could be sneaky good just because he's been playing pro for a long time uh, and then the other players Chad Chris he only played like maybe half a dozen games last year before he got injured um, and he doesn't get a lot of fanfare either because he's he's got he had so many other D prospects ahead of him including Boquist before Boquist got traded so he had four people ahead of him and so um, but that isn't to say that he's junk. I just think that, you know, he's just part of a deep 
pipeline, at least on the defensive side. Um, so I think he's one to watch. And I don't think he'll crack the lineup this year. I think um, he needs another full year after being injured last year uh, and then maybe push the envelope uh, for next year. Um, and then Isaac Phillips is the other one. Um, he, I mean, if the pandemic hadn't happened, which we all wish, um, and a lot of the junior leagues hadn't shut down, Isaac Phillips and Michael uh, Crudel wouldn't have been with the Rockford Ice Hogs last year. They would have been in juniors. Um, but I think because Phillips had that chance to play pro, I think he acquitted himself pretty well um, as a teenager. Um, definitely has a lot to work on, uh, but he wasn't the worst um, player in Rockford last year. He definitely wasn't a liability, uh, but um, you definitely saw where his learning curve is. But um, he's got a way to go, but I like what I saw out of um, Isaac Phillips. What was your scouting report on Boquist? Because I just don't see, you know, what everybody else, you know, saw in him. What did you What did you think of of Boquist as a prospect, and then say how he's developed as a player so far? Yeah, he last season um, is almost like a tale of two seasons for him. Like he wasn't good at all. Like you know, right when the season started, and then just for a handful of games after he got out of COVID protocol. To the point where, like, man, you just got to send him down. You got to marinate him more as long as you need in Rockford. But they kept him up, uh, and I think it paid out. Uh, it paid off eventually, where he actually was one of the better defensemen on the team. And on most nights, and I could get crucified by a lot of fans. I thought he was better than Duncan Keith on a lot of nights mm. in terms of just flipping the ice. He made some smart plays. He was the best passer out of all the defensemen. Um, there's so many defensemen who will just do that stretch pass. Ian Mitchell was just so guilty of it. He would make a stretch pass and just not connect. It's like, stop doing that. You just got to move the puck out of the zone with your feet. And so that's what I hope him, uh, Mitchell, and Bodan work on is use your feet more to move the puck out. Um, but Boquist, he could actually connect on a pass, whether it's a short pass, a long pass. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think... Uh, for a lot of fans, it, it's and from what I've read. A lot of people just are concerned about his durability. Uh, yeah, his I mean, speed too. It's his speed too. He's good. not the quickest skater, yeah. and he's small. For a little guy, you'd think a guy he'd be faster, and he's not at all. Yeah, and he does he's not, not a, recover. He cannot recover when he makes makes a mistake. I noticed too. Yeah, and that's what you want out of defensemen is you want them to not only be resilient after they take a hit. Uh, but you want that escapability. So if you're under pressure, can you escape that pressure through skating cleanly and move the puck up ice? And that's what you see out of Kalanick. He is so good with protecting I was just going to say that. Um, yeah. And I think Mitchell and Bodan are, are close. I think they just need some more um, time in, uh, in Rockford, and then they'll be ready. Um, I just don't see them right off the bat, um, unless they're really working hard this offseason. Um, so I, I wouldn't count that out, but Kalanuk, I think is the most ready and he is older. I mean, he's 24 now, whereas Mitchell, I believe is 21 and Bodan is 20 or 21. Um, so that's almost naturally to be expected for a Kalanuk to be a little bit more advanced than they are. Future's yeah. bright. Yeah. On defense, at least I'm excited about those guys. Yeah, yeah. I am big time. For, for once, I'm more excited about our defense than, you know, usually <laughs> we got these forwards that are hyped, but our yeah. Mitchell and Bodan, I'm I'm really excited for. Yeah, yeah. I, kind of reminds me of like Keith and Seabrook when they were coming in in like '06. You know, I I get the vibes like Mitchell's can kind of be that two way guy, and even Bodan can too, and it, it's good to see. 
because we haven't had anybody like stick for a while because we've had our solid core for the last couple of years and they never had a chance to make the lineup. Yeah, you know, we had yeah. Seabrook, Jarmelson, and Keith, obviously, and just guys filling in the blanks. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked Mitchell and, 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 and Bowden because I think that they made better decisions than, than Boquist did. And I think Boquist's bad decisions just really stuck out to me like a lot. And one thing that really stuck out to me was Kalanuk was that I didn't see him make a lot of spectacular plays, but I didn't see him make any really bad plays either. You know, it seemed like he was just, he was out there playing um, really well and he wasn't getting burned. And, uh, but at the same time, he wasn't, he wasn't firing in howitzers from the blue line either, you know, and yeah. uh, I, re- I really, really like what I saw. Well, I had a coach who used to say if when you were a defenseman and we didn't notice you, that's a good thing because <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. probably had a good night. Yeah. yeah. Quietly, yeah. you know, usually Boldquist would make that mistake and, you know, we'd get haunted. They'd go back and score the other way and then it's like, God dang, Boldquist, you know. Yeah. So you got me saying that the rest of the night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Who are the, uh, what about the goalie prospects in your um, in, on your list? Who do you got? Yeah, that's obviously not as deep. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you have Drew Camesso, um, number one, and then Arvid Soderblom, who is signed in May, I believe, um, out of Sweden. Um, I think he'll push to be the number one in Rockford. I think right now, Kale Morris, who's only on an AHL deal, um, renewed just for one year after his rookie pro year last year. I think Kale Morris will come in number one and then Soderblom number two, but I could see Soderblom in short order overtake him um, and possibly be, you know, maybe an injury call up if needed. But obviously then you got to decide on what to do with um, Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia because um, obviously you're going to have Flurry and Lankinen, um as number one and number two or 1A and 1B uh, for this season, but they're going to have to decide um, by preseason, or, uh, yeah, but by preseason or by training camp, what to do with Subban and Delia? Whether you ship out both, keep one. Um, I can't see both of them being on the team. Who I do you don't like either. better. W- let's take predictions, Matt. W- what do you say? Oh, I mean, it's a hard one, and I'm a goalie guy. So, uh, I, Subban showed some. You know, he could play. At times, he made some big saves, but then the next shift, the save he makes, he'd get lost, and I feel like he was swimming around in the crease a little bit. Uh, Delia, I just didn't really get an—I didn't get enough of him. I, he got shelled against the the Lightning game one, game and, two, and was it okay? Game two, I thought yeah. it was one. Um, now Subban came in, he got nuked. Then Delia came in, he got, he got nuked. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it, that's the, those are the champs. So I mean, yeah, I I think Subban might. I think he might have a little more value. Maybe maybe yeah. somebody will want him. But uh, I could see Delia being a Rockford guy, and I'm sure he's fine with it. What he's making a million, right? Yeah, one more season. So yeah. I, what What about you, Theo? What What do you think is going to happen between uh, between Subban uh, and Delia? Yeah. What do you think the Hawks are going to do? Yeah, I would agree with Matt. I think I think Subban has more value, at least uh, what NHL teams may be looking for. Um, but he could also be a known quantity. People, uh, the league already knows what Subban is about, so yeah. they might take a chance on Adelia instead. I mean, they're both. I mean, 
Dealey is a million. I can't remember what uh, what Subban is making, but Pretty they're not close. terribly off in terms of salary. So it's not like they're going to break the bank. Maybe Edmonton um, will want him. Yeah, they need goaltending. I think uh, I think it's going to be Subban uh, because um, you know we don't really know what Colin Delia can do. He practically played one game last year, and that was it. And then I got to watch Subban, like Matt says, swim around in the crease for you know whenever he played the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah he, he did. He, he made had some, some big saves. He had he some did. solid nights, but for the most part, you know, they get drowned out by uh, some of his other performances that were, quite frankly, horrific. You know, and um, and I think that he's been in the league for what five years now. You know. This isn't someone who's getting bigger. This is the the, the uh, player that has the same problems that he's had ever since he came in. He's inconsistent, and um, and I think other teams know that. Everybody knows what he is by now, and um, and I I think that he's he's done to be honest with you. And I don't see how the Hawks can go forward with him. Yeah, I think that's why. Um Going with Camesso and and um, Soderblom over, you know, at least in the long term, over Subban and Delia is the fact that um, Camesso and Soderblom they stay compact in their crease. They, there's no wasted movement with them. Mm. They let the puck hit them and they don't panic. Whereas I think with Subban he has rebound control uh, and like you said, just a, little, a lot of swimming around. And the thing with Delia too, when he first like his first season, first few games, like I don't know, maybe six or seven games with the Blackhawks. Now what, like three years ago. He was that way too. He was compact, just economical in his movements, but then he just started flailing. And um, I know he had some personal things to work through. Uh, I think it was two seasons ago, but, you know, that got sorted out. Um, But I don't know. Uh, He seems to have regressed a little bit. Um, But I could see teams taking a chance on him. Uh, I just don't think, I don't see either Subban or Delia being in the Blackhawks system a year from now. And definitely one of them. I would see is gone by a training camp. Um, and then both of them will be gone by next summer. I told Matt last year. Oh, actually not last year. Cause we only had a, such a short season at the beginning of the year before the season started that Lankinen was going to be the starter for the Blackhawks. Um, yeah, by the end of the season, right. two he weeks later right. <laughs> he was, I, I didn't think that it was going to happen that quickly. Did you see Lankinen, uh, ha- you know, having such a fast rise, such a strong rise in the, uh, in the organization. Um, I'm glad you used the term fast rise. I didn't see him being the one who actually took the reins last season, but I saw him as ultimately the person who would take the crease, uh, maybe this coming season, not, um, not back in January. Right. Crazy. So is there anything you're looking forward to the Hawks season this year? I'm excited just because I, I don't I don't want to say that the Hawks and I think I've probably used this term before, but you know I think the Hawks sort of are going all in uh, at least to get into the playoffs and go as deep as they can take it. I you know they're far from being a Stanley Cup favorite. I mean just look at the Vegas odds, but um, but I think that they've made some changes to add experience, add some competitiveness, uh, cut bait with some of the excess fat, um, but then also hit the reset button with the rebuild and in a sense, like learn from uh, the, the Joki Haru and Boquist experiments where they just called them up way too early instead yeah. of just letting them marinate and rock for at least one full season, if not two seasons. 
And I think that's what they're doing, or at least I hope what they're doing with Mitchell and Bodan and maybe Kalanick right. to a certain extent is let them stay in Rockford and marinate as long as possible. And then they'll be ready for it. And then they'll just be better in the long term. Whereas like, you, you know, just what people saw with Boquist, he struggled and it, he wasn't better for it. Um, and I think he would eventually get there, but you're going to have to go with the growing pains in the NHL. I'd rather see the growing pains happen um, in the AHL. Is there anything you're specifically looking forward to to the Ice Hawks season this year? Yeah, I think um, I think with the Ice Hogs, you know, they've made a lot of decisions to go young too, and that's partially by design of what the Blackhawks want to do since they're the parent club. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's good just to see a lot of the prospects on – on the hogs and not a whole lot of uh, career and uh, AHLers filling up like a third or a half the roster just to field a team. But it's, um, it, it'll be exciting to watch just, you know, just like draft picks from the past three or four years fielding that roster and whether or not they're good. I don't, to me, like I don't watch ice hog games, you know, you want them to win, you know, that's just sports, but you know, if they lose, I don't lose sleep over it. <laughs> um, and it's really more about how did this specific player play right. and are they reaching the potential that, um, in terms of what they were built to be when they were first drafted. And if not, can you recalibrate? Uh, and I think something, a player that always comes to mind was Dan Cleary. I mean, f- former first rounder for the Hawks where he was expected to be a top six, maybe a first liner when he was drafted. And I can't remember the year. Uh, but he had to redefine his career, and he became a really good middle six player for Detroit. Yeah, um, I was just gonna say. Oh, I hated Dan that Cleary. guy. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I hated him too. But I mean, just the definition of just hate. that beard, I hated too. <laughs> <That beard. laughs> Looked like a yeti. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 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 almost like that happened with uh, Zanol too, because yeah. I think that they wanted him to be more an, of an offensive player. And they really weren't looking into him as a defensive player because at the time, I think we still had we still had Boland at the time, and they weren't really looking for that type of player. You know, fast forward five years, you know, we could really use him. You know, especially yeah. with his faceoff uh, winning abilities. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, I he's think... going to be a top six in uh, L.A. I think they want more out of him. Personally, I I heard that from Boomer and Jake today. They, Jake's really high on the, uh, the Kings, the Kings, and he thinks Dano is going to be second line center, and they're they want more production out of him, and I think that's why he signed there because I think he wanted that role as well. He yeah. wanted this. He wants some points, you know. He wants to score, and he wants to be the man behind uh, Kopitar. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good insurance. I, I thought that was a really good move by the Kings to sign Dano, just because Very good. it buys time for Byfield to play third line kind of like what you were suggesting about doc let him play third line first uh get his feet wet get get more comfort level there's no point in rushing him to be a top six center same thing with byfield uh and then copertur it's similar to Taves. obviously he has he's more healthy but copertur i mean he's also on the second you know he's in his 30s now i believe yeah and so it's not like he's going to be going strong for another decade he could uh but no one's not everyone's a yager so yeah um, yeah, I, but I like what they're doing. And then they have Turcotte, too. Um, yeah, Chicago play down the middle. Yeah. yeah. And so their center depth is really good um, in, in L.A. I can see uh, L.A. doing something. You know, we were talking, I think it was the last podcast or two ago, about the what Taves, what, what the Blackhawks are going to do with Taves in a couple of years because 
you know, as he starts to slow down a little bit, he could easily go into that third line center, you know, shut down. Uh, we need a face-off win type of center role and really, really excel at it and, and possibly extend his career. I can see Kopitar doing that in, in L.A. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that one too. Yeah, I think those two. And I think Bergeron is going to go probably the longest um, at the clip he's playing at. He's just so good. But Bergeron, Kopitar, and Taves, they're just, once they're just winding down their careers, they're going to be really good third liners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those young centers got a lot of, they got good mentors to show them the way, too. Like, yeah. like, Dave, like Dave said, Steve Eiserman, I mean, he was the third line center with Zetterberg and Datsuk in front of him. That's just a really good team right there. Yeah. 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 Actually, I was mentioning with Matt, you know, when a long, long time ago, when, when Eiserman came into the league, he was an offensive center and he didn't, he didn't really hone his defensive part of the game, but he, he scored in, in buckets. And Scotty Bowman told him, if you want to, you know, want to have a good career in this league, you got to learn to play both ends of the ice. And, um, he sacrificed some points for playing defense, but he still, I mean, he still scored 60 goals a season. And, and cups. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And cups. And, you know, he played both ends of the ice and, he really developed into the ultimate player, really yeah. ultimate center. And then at the end of his uh, career, he pretty much just specialized in the defensive aspect of the game. Yeah. And I think that uh, there's a lot of players that don't really go through that, um, you know, just go through that evolution. And I, I really believe that uh, guys who who could play both sides of the puck uh, are are are, ten- are tending to maybe take that lead and. And do that as well. I, I definitely think Bergeron and Kopitar and Taves will do it. Well, yeah. Do, do you guys remember when they put uh, Sergei Fedorov on defense? <sighs> I think that was with the Blue Jackets. I want to say. I think yeah, it was Hitchcock, did. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. And he was actually a stud. He, he was, was really good. Yeah. yeah. Man, Sergei Fedorov was one of my favorite players of all time, and that's saying uh, something, man, because I'm a I'm a Blackhawks fan, man, through and through. Geez. I hated I hated the Red Wings for. For continually, uh, you know, beating up on the Hawks back in the Might 90s. I want to take man. this clip out. Uh, man, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, dude. Sergei Editing Fedorov, software. Yeah. Sergey Fedorov was unbelievable, man. Well, just YouTube uh, best glove save in the world. You just watch Eddie Belfort just rob him. That's, that's <laughs> Sergey Fedorov for me. Oh man, the, yeah. And then you look at the next the next clip on the on YouTube, and, it's, um, and it goes to Fedorov's yeah. five goal game. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember that game. It was insane. Yeah, All right, Mike, Matt. Uh, actually, to, to your point about um, redefining yourself, I mean, Marion Hossa is a perfect example of where he was predominantly an offensive player. You know, when he was with the Senators, the Thrashers, and even even with Pittsburgh, it really wasn't until Detroit, I believe, was when he really took off defensively and became who we know him as. The demigod. Um, in Blackhawks land, yeah. <laughs> as, as just one of the best two-way players uh, the thing was, he wasn't always a two-way player. Yeah, best free agent signing in Chicago sports history, Mary yeah. Hosa. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he was. Actually, me and Matt talk, have been talking about it recently this year is that Kane has started developing his defensive game, and um, he back-checked a lot this year, man. Not and, as good, but the effort's I'm not way comparing better. him to, to Hosa, yeah. but I'm saying that he has definitely, you know, he has a defensive game to his uh, defensive side to his game now, and he had some some key takeaways that led to offensive opportunities. And I think that you know he sees the value in that now. Yeah, and I think that's why 
I enjoy watching the Ice Hogs because their head coach, Derek King, a phrase he uses a lot is we have to coach the junior out of a lot of these players. They're not going to put up these video game stats anymore. They can't cheat on offense. They got to uh, learn to play like without the puck. Um, and I think that they're going to be ready for it in terms of when they are recalled to the Blackhawks, they can actually stay afloat, not just tread water or sink immediately, but they can actually be an impact player. And so Brandon Hagel is a perfect example. Yeah. That's Mike's boy. Yeah, I yeah. love him, man. He, he just goes out there and puts it all, he just leaves it all out there, you know? Yeah. I, I love him. I think he's he's phenomenal. Do you think that there is a really huge difference between juniors and the AHL? In ter- terms of Canadian juniors? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think, um, you know, there's a, obviously with, with lower leagues and, you know, if you're counting like high school and college, you know, the, the structure and strategy increases um, as you advance um, through the leagues. You know, I think there's just obviously just it's, it's a heavier league in terms of hard hitting the rigor in the AHL. And so um, I can't remember where I read this, but for anyone to say the AHL is just, you know, it's, it's a minor leagues. Like it's, it's like, you know, single A in baseball. It's not, I mean, AHL, that's where you cut your teeth. I mean, if you want to learn the rigor and learn how to take a hit, but also play physical, like fight back, that's a good place to learn. Um, you know, if you can make it, cut it right away, like, Taves did and never spend a day in the minors, but not everyone's like that. Majority of the players aren't. And so spend as much time as you need in the AHL. Yeah. You know, honestly, I think that I, I might've read the same article uh, that they mentioned that, that the NHL actually isn't as physical as the AHL is like the AHL is more physical. And, um, and a lot of guys, you know, cut their teeth down there. Would you say the AHL's more physical than the NHL? Um, you know, there's there's probably metrics and advanced stats that can prove one way or another. I think anecdotally, yes, and part of it is, um, and I've seen this on different message boards where fans say this, and I agree with it. It's you know, players need to make a name for themselves, and one, especially if your skill level isn't as high, one way to make a name for yourself is through hitting and playing a physical uh, yep. physical game. Um, as long as you stay, you know, you know, you're not a Tom Wilson, <laughs> 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 then. You know, I think you can definitely get some notice and um, get, at least earn a call up and go from there. Um, and you never know. Um, you might carve out a pretty nice career. You could be a journey, journeyman and, uh, you know, jump around team to team. But, you know, at least be a commodity where, play, you know, teams want you in their bottom six. Um, you're not going to produce a lot of points, but you provide value on the PK uh, or on the defensive side of the puck or just, just agitate. And I think that's what I like about and Whistle, Hardman, Evan Barrett, even Andre Altibarmarkian, they just, uh, especially those two, uh, Barrett and Altibarmarkian, and even Tim Soderlund before he got traded with Keith to Edmonton, they play with us a lot of sandpaper. They're not the biggest players, but they just get after it. And, like, and the reason why you guys like Hagel and why so many fans love Hagel is he just gets after the puck. Just Yeah. Like, I mean, speed. there's not... Love it. Speed. Love the speed. Yep. And there's not a there's not a single shift where he doesn't at least touch the puck, <laughs> right? Whether to force yeah. a turnover or he's handling it or just to knock it away or like to deflect a pass, you know, by clogging the lanes. Yep. Like he's just a a puck magnet. Like wherever the puck is, there's Hagel. It's like where did you come from? <laughs> yeah, just hard work and speed. It's like he's even if he's like coasting on TV, it still looks fast to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt, you got anything else, man? Yeah, Theo, uh, what do you think? Wild card spot this year for the Hawks? Or do you think we're still probably going to 
compete for that second wild card and maybe fall short. I'm going to go optimistic and say that they actually get a spot. <laughs> that they don't even need the wild card, but oh, I'm probably okay. going to eat my words. One, and two, they're three. Probably, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm probably going to eat my you. words and they're going to be uh, backing in maybe on the last game, looking at the standings and the scoreboard to be like, are we in? Are we in? But yeah, that's, that's good. That's awesome. I think I, I know our division is way better than the Pacific. So I know, like Dave said too, it's going to be five teams or um, yeah, five teams from the central, obviously uh, Colorado, you know, St. Louis, maybe Minnesota. I just think Dallas is getting older, but I think maybe the Hawks and the Jets in the wild card for me. Yeah. Hmm. I'm not impressed with Dallas. I, I don't know what they're doing either. They have like 13 starting goalies now, and I don't know who's going to play. I, I just didn't understand those moves at all this, this yeah. summer. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't be as optimistic had they not traded for Flurry. Like if they were <laughs> yeah. going in with Lankanen and say any of Dealey or Subban, <laughs> yeah, you're talking probably outside looking in. But Flurry gives them a chance to be competitive every night. So the defense could still be – mediocre uh i think mccabe is an upgrade and i know there's just ad nauseum debate on seth jones isn't a good defenseman i think he's a good defenseman he yeah you know it, 31 teams wouldn't or however many there are now 32 <laughs> obviously <laughs> not well 31 because columbus he didn't want to stay yeah. in columbus but right so yeah. many teams wanted who, him who and, does yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we want to thank you, Theo, for coming back, for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. You were awesome. Yeah, thank you, man. This was great hearing about the future and all that stuff. It was awesome. Yeah, we're definitely gonna gonna have you back on because that was a that was a good conversation. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate the invite. But that's all that we got for you tonight, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Tomahawk. We're out of here.